This podcast is brought to you by Serin, the diamond industry reimagined. Technology is the ultimate game changer for a more efficient, accurate, and profitable diamond pipeline. Many companies and brands are already in the game. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rapport Diamond podcast. My name is Avi Kravitz. I'm the Senior Analyst and News Editor at Rapport, and with me today is Rapport editor-in-chief, the one and only Sonia Esther-Sultani. Um, Sonia, it's great to be back in our, view, in our virtual studio with you. How are you today? Hi, Avi. I'm great. I'm really happy to be here and to be uh, wrapping our, our techni- technology series together. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting um, journey over the last um, five weeks. Um, this is our fifth and final episode um, of the um, podcast series on technology that we've been uh, that we that we're running. And apart from our guests, which we'll get to in a minute for this episode, it's uh, I thought it would be uh, it's an opportunity to reflect on some of the discussions that we've had um, in the series. Um, so, Sonia, Sonia, what were some of the key messages that you've taken? taken from um, from the last last few weeks discussions I think there were absolutely fascinating discussions on very different aspects. We started with digital and then we moved to trust traceability then we went into grading then retail um, and I feel what is the, the common thread I'll be happy to, to hear your views as well is that the technology in itself is not the disruption it's not disruptive it always serves an end consumer and an end demand so whether it's uh, accessibility on digital to greater storytelling to greater um, opportunities for discoveries, um, traceability, the consumers want something. Uh, they want to know everything along the way. Uh, and uh, the retail, the story, the grading obviously was also, you know, consumers want to know what their stones is worth. So technology is disruptive. Only if it serves the, the consumer that's going to, to benefit from the, the massive advancements that it brings to, to the table. Mm, it's, it's maybe it's the enabler of, of the, the disruptive trend that, uh, that, that, that trends um, plural that, we, that we're seeing in various aspects of the, of the market. And I feel also from what we heard from, I think, every single guest that we had, the human the human is always at the center. So even if we offer him a fantastic service with the iPad and he can design his ring and he can see things and he can research and he can connect to anyone in the world like this, just by clicking a button, he still wants to have someone who is a real human. And this, uh, and I, I think especially in the digital sphere, it's, it's something that, that is so, so important to really know who's behind the, the beautiful, shiny product. Mm, and and even on the on the some some of the more technical aspects of um, of uh, of technology, which I think we'll hear from one or two of our guests um, today, um, there is still that human element that I think does give some reassurance to people that we're not stepping into a future of sort of just machinery and and, and equipment that's gonna that's gonna rule our lives. Although that little iPhone of mine does. Um, does uh, sometimes wonder who is the um, who is the leader in our little relationship. <laughs> I think that's a... <laughs> it's my life so much. Um, I'm, I'm not checking the, the number of hours I spent on a daily on my phone anymore. I, I, I 
<laughs> I disabled that. that. Can, cancel that update <laughs> right um well i, I think i think we see in in today's um episode in which we we're we're going to interview four executives um in separate interviews operating in various segments of the industry and uh, it it really showcases how technology is driving um, not only their operations, but um, but also the, the, that of the of the industry, um, as as we move forward in this um, in this new uh, this new post pandemic sort of environment that uh, that we that we're stepping into, um, and um, and so so we 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 interview four guests um, guests today. They include Josh Poulin um, from uh, Sotheby's. Ira Thomas um, of uh, mining company Lakara Diamond um, Corporation, Jörg Pausch, who is um, from Sonova, and Nina Joaji, who is from the Connect Agency um, and more in, involved on the on the retail side. So, Sonia, wh- why don't you introduce our first guest, who um, who you interviewed um, as as part of this episode? Sure. So, it was a real pleasure. I spoke with Josh Pollen, who's the managing director of the global luxury division at Sotheby's. He's based in Geneva. I've always been interested in auction houses and how they 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 sell, you know, such high high end products. And Sotheby's has had a very interesting e-commerce strategy in the past year. They started before, but they really went, uh, they took it to the next level when COVID hit. So Josh is going to tell us a bit more about, about this strategy and how technology has, has helped Sotheby's. Great. And, uh, and so here's Sonia and Josh. Hi, Sonia. Great to speak to you. It's great. I think we have a lot, a lot of things to, to cover with everything that happened at Sotheby's and everything. The, the spectacular sales and how the e-commerce strategy of the auction house has, has really boosted sales and uh, shifted the, the market in the past year. But before this, can you please tell us a bit more about yourself and your role at the auction house? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I'm really responsible for our luxury division, uh, which comprises uh, jewels, watches, wine and spirits, uh, 20th century design, books and manuscripts, our fashion business, um, as well as our marketplace um, and our uh, also our car business. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a wide definition of luxury um, and 20th century design, um, but uh, it's it's certainly one that we're really excited about the cross category uh, collecting trends and behaviours that we're seeing there. The, the auction house already had a quite well-established e-commerce strategy before COVID hit last year. Uh, you were mm-hmm. online, you were doing a lot of sales. There were a lot of uh, online sales already happening online to, to attract a new market, a younger market, maybe first-time collectors to, of, to Sotheby's. But how has the, the, the pandemic really pushed you to, to take this to a new level? Yeah, I, I think, as you say, I think you know, COVID really accelerated the adoption uh, of tools by, you know, by the business, but also really from our client perspective as well. Um, And we learned, you know, really early on that leaning into our existing digital capabilities, but also creating new ones um, was essential to create the sort of the flexibility and nimbleness, um, you know, that we've needed um, to keep doing business in the last 12 months. Um, So specifically, you know, things like refining our online bidding platform, 
um, which powers both our online auctions, our live auctions, and our newly launched uh, fixed price business. Uh, and of course, continuing to improve the, the digital catalog experience uh, that, that creates really a, a rich and immersive um, storytelling presentation um, of the objects that we offer. And so these were sort of improvements, as you say, around um, many of the capabilities that we, you know, we already had in place and have, have evolved and continued to, to develop. Uh, but I think the pandemic then really also necessitated that we rethink the paradigm um, around our live auction business as well. And so we were the first uh, to launch a new model of live auctions, um, you know, for our marquee sales using live streaming technology um, and multiple locations to create really a new and vibrant uh, global auction experience. So I think those those were some of the sort of the big pieces. And, and then I would add to that just to sort of to say that we, you know, that we launched a number of specific tools to make it easier for clients to engage with us. You know, so things like a chat function um, or a virtual gallery experience or even an online consignment tool so that if we couldn't meet with clients, um, then they were still able to, you know, send us their items um, virtually for appraisals and, uh, and estimates um, for the auction business. Well, did that open new opportunities for you? Like it enabled you to, to reach to, to new collectors and new clients? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that the, um, you know, the sort of the broadening um, of the audience um, through, through our digital tools um, has really, you know, has really allowed us to reach a much, much wider audience than before. Um, so, for example, um, you know, 44% of the bidders in our luxury sales last year were new to Sotheby's um, and in Jewel specifically, uh, you know, that, um, that the new bidders, you know, increased by about 32%. Um, so, you know, definitely we're reaching a, a new audience at scale. Um, and part of that story is, uh, is a younger audience as well. Uh, so about 30% of the participants were, um, were under 40 years old in, in, our jewelry in our jewelry business. And so that's, you know, that's definitely a younger demographic than, than, than we've previously seen. That's really interesting. And also I like the way you, you talk about storytelling in a, in a digital age, like all the, the different um, initiatives that you took to, you know, when it was the, the spirit of the rose, there was mm -hmm. uh, a ballet to go with it. When there was, it seems like you, you really created a lot of innovations, not just to about the, the, the diamond, but the whole lifestyle that goes around it. So it, what, what kind of innovations uh, specifically do you, did you implement with your team to, that you feel have really been a game, uh, game changer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there are, as we talked about, there are a number of what I would say were incremental improvements or um, evolutions of existing tools. But I do think that the one, uh, you know, one thing that we really launched that is, is, is sort of a game changer for us, as you describe, is, is our buy now business. And so that, you know, that really gives clients the ability to instantly purchase um, items from our, from a new luxury store. Um, and so we soft launched uh, that platform with jewelry and watches um, in New York in September. And uh, we've now expanded that property mix, you know, beyond just jewels and watches uh, to, you know, sneakers, handbags, interiors and fine art. And we have over 5,000 items available for instant purchase on that, um, on that new platform. Uh, so we, you know, we're, we, again, we're seeing 
significant adoption from new clients on that. Um, so more than 75% of the clients that have transacted on that platform are brand new to Sotheby's. And so we see it as a fantastic entry point into the business and, and one that we're going to continue to scale and, and grow um, over the course of this year and beyond. And at the other end, because this is the entry business and very often um, the first-time collectors will be buying um, pieces in a, let's say, five-digit five category, six-digit category, but there were mm -hmm. massive sales this last year, the, the very mm -hmm. spectacular sales. And I remember speaking to one of your colleagues who told me that if someone had told him back in January that you would be selling a, 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 um, a diamond of a hundred carat in an online mm -hmm. bidding. No, it, it would have just laughed, and you know, it would say, "No, it's it's impossible." But you did it. So, can you tell us a bit more how you organized the the big sales last year the, that actually happened only online? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I think um, you know, as, as you mentioned, um, the the hundred and two carat diamond that we offered in Hong Kong um, in October was um, was a new format. Um, and really a new presentation of an ultra-rare and very high-value piece. Um, and so ultimately that, that diamond sold for um, $15.6 million. But what was innovative and, um, and different about the, the sale format were, were two things, really. One was that we offered the stone um, without reserve, um, you know, meaning that it could have sold for, you know, for as little as $50. Um, and, um, and then the second was, um, was that we offered it in a live auction, but we had bidding open for two weeks um, prior to the sale um, so that the bids could continue to roll in for, for that period. And indeed they did. And we saw a flood, a flurry of bids, um, you know, including the highest, highest value bid ever placed um, for a jewel online, which was $11 million. So I think, that's, I think that was a great way of thinking about how to engage a, a broader audience um, in a very, very exciting moment um, at, a, you know, at a very serious price point and use the digital tools and scales um, to, um, in order to, to drive that result. Um, so I think that was, that was interesting. And then, as you mentioned, um, the next month in Geneva, uh, we then sold the Spirit of the Rose Uh, which was uh, which was the you know the highest price for a jewel auction last year, um, and we ended up selling that for you know twenty six point six million dollars. And um, and the key part, as you really touched on, was was how we did the storytelling around that item. Um, you know, clearly we were offering that in a time uh, here in Switzerland where there was restricted movement, and so you know the, the stone had had been on an international traveling exhibition. But we partnered with Corinne uh, Rotfeld to style, you know, a modern performance of the ballet, um, which is the, the the name, the title of the, the stone, um, and to really then push out that performance um, online through social uh, with a webinar, and to really amplify the storytelling aspect of that, so that we can reach a much much larger audience. Well, as you said, it was really about also the whole. Um the whole story of the stone, that it was a, a pink diamond that came from Russia. Mm. There was a, a connection to that Diaghilev, to the, to the ballet, to art, to, you know, um, Karin Rothfeld, who's the, the former editor of Vogue, uh, mm. Vogue Paris. I mean, you know, everything came together in such a romantic way, I would say. You really romanced this, this stone um, mm. in addition to being an extraordinary gem in itself. So, and 
do you feel like you've applied this to other um, other of your cells? Is it something that you see as the as the new way to 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 use the potential, the full potential of digital and and collaborations? Yes, I, I think that the the storytelling and and really creating a a rich narrative um, around uh, around these you know around these these items is is really essential. And you know, I think we you can we can do that in multiple ways. You know, as you've said, the the idea of of going in and, and teasing out the the intersection around uh, of that particular stone around um, you know fashion art, um, obviously ballet um, it, it was a was a really core part of of making that story have a broader appeal and to you know to give people ways of understanding and thinking about a stone in a, in a ways that they perhaps haven't before so that's absolutely something that we love to do and i think the other way that we're thinking about that is you know the the spirit of the rose was offered as part of a luxury sales week that we we, we called the festival of wonder here in geneva and and we brought to that to that sales mix you know there was obviously the magnificent jewelry our important watches sale. Uh, we had handbags, and we also had a um, a very special uh, automobile um, on offer. So we're really looking to create more connection points for you know passionate collectors um, from from each of those categories, and to um, to get them interested. And what do you think they're going to demand these uh, jewelry collectors? These quite demanding consumers, actually. The you always need to, to keep excited and, and engaged with, with your collections and your products and your offerings and your, and your sales. Well, what do you see as the next, the next stage for them? I think that there's, there's a baseline expectation you know, around speed and consistent execution and now this idea of storytelling. Um, and I think that each of those really, to my mind, speak to the on-demand culture that we now all experience you know we we want our our video on demand we want our music on demand uh we want you know our food or or, or whatever it is um and so i think that is now um the sort of now the baseline expectation um from from clients from collectors from consumers um across multiple categories and so that i think that the the buy now business um is really well positioned um to you know to meet those needs Um, so, for example, we actually have a Valentine's Day store um, assortment across multiple categories, be it jewelry, watches, handbags, sneakers, uh, wine, uh, put together, uh, because I think that, you know, that speaks very well to the, the idea of you need a gift um, and sometimes an auction may not provide you the certainty um, that, you're, that you're going to win that item. Um, so, so sometimes buy now is a, is a great mechanism. So I think, I think there is the instant gratification aspect will be there for jewelry collectors as we go forward. And then I think the other thing is, as the world reopens, you know, and emerges from COVID, I think that physical experiences will need to be truly special. And, and so part of that, you know, is, is that cross category uh, connection points that we've talked about. And I think the other part is, is really creating, um, you know, opportunities for communities or passionate collectors to come together um, and, and share experiences together um, as, we, as we go back into a world that's, um, you know, that's hopefully a little less restricted in, in, uh, in how we inter interact with each other. That sounds great. And actually, that, that takes me to, to the question I would like to, to conclude this, uh, 
this interview with is the question we, we ask all our guests on this technology series is what's next? What, how do you see now that we've, we've had this, uh, we've had this experience of uh, digital first of um, technology helping business to, to carry on and to thrive during the pandemic? What, how do you see the new auction environment shaping itself now that you can have the, you have the strength of digital and also, but people also miss the, the live experience and the, the human connection that, and the excitement that a live auction house can offer. Yeah, I think that, I think that the, um, you know, the live auction model has been around for centuries. Uh, and so, you know, we absolutely have no plans to, uh, to abandon them or change that. But at the same time, I think that there is, you know, there's no turning back the clock in terms of client behavior and, you know, the strong engagement we've seen with the online format. So for me, it's, 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 it's really not an, uh, an either or proposition. I think that digital and uh, the, the physical experiences just provide us with more choice so that we can provide, you know, a wider range of auctions um, or, um, or instant purchase options. Um, and so, so to be specific, I think for, the, for, for Sotheby's in our auction business, you'll continue to see our most special auctions like the Magnificent Jewels, um, you know, to be offered in that live format. But the live format will evolve and continue to embrace the, the best of the technology aspects to really continue to vivify and make that experience um, even more exciting. And then to complement that, you know, our online auction business has proved really effective and so we'll continue to bring you know, high quality offerings with an increased frequency in an online auction format. And so I think those are the two, two aspects of, of how I see our, our, our auction business developing. And then all of that will be really underpinned by and is underpinned by our, our buy now offering so that 365 days a year, you know, you can come, you can browse um, and you can learn about um, the best possible items um, that we have to offer and purchase those instantly. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much, Josh, for your time and for, for sharing this insight into how technology has, has contributed to many successful sales in the past year and I'm sure many, many more to, to come. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Sonia. Thank you, Sonia and Josh. It's um, it's so interesting. If I think back to the auction market just just a year ago, even less than a year ago, um, I think the, the the changes that have taken place have been so dramatic and so exciting as well that it's really a space um, that's uh, it's really a dynamic space that we that that, that that's worth watching and and um, always always see a, a romantic. Um, elements to the to the auctions that really elevates the the value that uh, that our um that our in- industry brings. Absolutely, and I think the next interview, Avi, you're going to tell us a bit more. Um, is going to bring us to the source of where everything come start or where the romance starts with uh, with Era Thomas from uh, from Lucara, the our senior news reporter Joshua. Friedman interviewed. So, can you, before we go, we move to to Joshua's interview. Avi, can you can you tell us a bit more about Era and uh, what she's she's been achieving already at uh, Lucara? 
Sure, and and it's it's right. We we're moving from one extreme to the other in terms of the really the bookends of the market. And and Lucara Diamond Corporation is a mining company with a with a mine, a very high value mine in um, in Botswana called the Karoi Mine. And Ira has an, a long history and and quite a quite a fun interest um, history to to read about in the uh, in the diamond industry. Her family was involved in in uh, finding discovering the the Kati mine um, she was at Stornoway diamonds for 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 a while and really has been a pioneer in terms of being a female executive in the mining sector which is not very common or hasn't been very common um, in the industry so Joshua spoke to Ira about various innovative ways of selling rough diamonds that um, Lucara is um, introducing so Ira I wanted to start first by Thanking you for for coming on the podcast with us, um, and also just asking how how has technology impacted the way that that you work in the diamond industry now? How are things different now from a few years ago? Sure, thank you, Joshua, and it's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. You're absolutely right. I mean, technology and innovation uh, have been very important value drivers to. Lucara over the years. Uh, we were the first diamond mine in the world to incorporate state-of-the-art XRT technology as our prime diamond recovery method at our Kuroi mine. Uh, and that has been um, a, a real game changer for us. That has allowed us to recover our most valuable uh, diamonds, our largest diamonds, quickly, you know, in the milling circuit without damaging them. So that's been um, a very important development for us. And then I think we've continued to to explore and look for other ways in which we can make our, our business, you know, more efficient overall. And, you know, that ultimately led to uh, a decision to um, acquire Clara Diamond Solutions, uh, looking further downstream in, in terms of how diamonds are transacted. So I think overall, um, you know, as a company, we really feel and, and have recognized uh, that there was a lot of opportunity within the value chain um, to create a more robust high margin businesses. And that's what we've been looking to do. Right now, it's, uh, it's about three years since you, um, since you, acquired, uh, since you acquired Clara. And also since you became CEO of, of Lucara, is that, is that correct? It is. So I'm an, you know, an original founding partner of the company going back you know, more than 13 years now with my partners, Lucas Lundin and Catherine McLeod. And so was involved with the company since day one, but largely as an advisor and, and as a member of the, the board of directors. And then more recently, a few years ago, I stepped into the role of, of CEO. Right. So, can you um, can you explain Clara to our, our listeners, please? What what's, what motivated the development of the Clara platform? I think I think what really motivated the development of the Clara platform is um, really a lot of the challenges that we were witnessing within the supply chain and recognizing that the way we've been transacting diamonds really hasn't changed for a very long time, and that technology has sufficiently advanced to the point where it could completely uh, transform that uh, that traditional way of, of, of transacting diamonds. 
And so, you know, what do I mean by that? You know, we've we've typically seen within the value chain, uh, you know, producers selling through to manufacturers, selling, you know, through the value chain to retail. And each of those businesses is, is kind of deriving its margin on the backs of, of the other participants. And it's sort of a, you know, a typical push style sales system. And what we felt was the big opportunity was to create better alignment between those businesses uh, and recognize that there is value um, within the marketplace for all of us uh, if we can work together. And, and that's really the aim of Clara is to, to turn a traditional push style sales system into a marketplace that really delivers individual rough diamonds to our manufacturing businesses on the basis of their actual polished demand. So that's really what Clara is doing. And there is no other marketplace of this kind in the world. So Ira, it's, uh, it's difficult to talk about digital commerce um, without talking about COVID. So I wanted to ask you, how, how has how has Clara benefited from the, the general increased demand for online sales opportunities during the, the pandemic? Well, I have to say, you, you know, obviously the COVID pandemic has been, you know, really, really difficult for our business overall. But the silver lining for us certainly has been Clara. You know, as global travel restrictions um, continue to impede uh, people moving around the world to to buy diamonds, our the interest in the platform has just gone through the roof. You know, pre-COVID, we had 22 active customers. We're now sitting north of 75, and we have an active waiting list because we really are at the point now where we don't have enough supply to actually meet the growing demand. So it, it actually has been a very important catalyst for us. And I think what's exciting is that, you know, our customers that were early to embrace Clara um, have continued to, to buy uh, on Clara and are now, you know, our largest customers and are really seeing, you know, the benefits of being able to buy individual stones based on their own polished demand uh, sight unseen and have them delivered directly to their polishing factory. So, you know, we've we've given, you know, obviously the important value drivers for them around the efficiency of the sales system, but also the fact that we are assuring provenance uh, for these stones um, as, as well. And we're really reducing the timeline for a diamond to be mined uh, and ultimately planned and manufactured and sold um, through this new sales mechanism. Right, because that's one of the things that technology can really do is is reduce that lead time, uh, which has 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 traditionally been pretty long in the in the diamond industry. And I, I know that one of your goals for for Lucara, if, I'm, if I understand correctly, is to get other mining companies, third party producers involved. How, how's that going? Absolutely. You know, it, it has always been part of our business strategy. And, you know, the first step was to demonstrate uh, that the platform uh, works. And so we're using production from Kuroi. But as you will appreciate, Kuroi is a, is a very small mine. It's a very specialized mine. Most of the diamonds and most of the value from Kuroi are in large stones that really don't qualify for sale on Clara. 
and just as a reminder, Clara is really focused on on diamonds between one and ten carats in size, and the better colors and qualities, and you know the bread and butter of the industry, if you if you like. So our our concept has always been to demonstrate that it works, and then invite invite other producers um, to sell diamonds uh, this way. And and that engagement has has also increased. Um, we've uh, you know COVID did interrupt uh, a couple of producer trials that we had on the schedule for earlier in 2020, just because you know the challenges uh, for the overall industry. And we've, we're now back having those conversations, and we do have a number of trials that are in the planning stages that are are ready to, to get going here uh, in earnest in 2021. So we're we're pretty excited about that, and we're very confident that you know just like the value that 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 our manufacturers are seeing and the positive experience that they've had buying on Clara over the last, um, in some cases, you know, uh, up to. To, to 18 months, uh, that our producers are, are also going to have a similarly positive experience in being able to maximize the selling price for their rough diamonds and provide uh, the provenance um, that, you know, we feel is, has become an important uh, value driver for the manufacturing and retail community, you know. Consumers today are discerning. They want to know where their diamonds are coming from, and they want to know that they are supporting responsible businesses that care about the environment, that care about their social commitments, and are, are companies that are, are well governed and transparent. So we 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 feel that all of those elements um, are are you know really tackled in in Clara, which is really making it uh, we feel kind of the go to platform, and you know our key. 21 objective is is to get more third party supply onto the platform and and yeah that that's um that's something we're pretty excited to see and and I think at that point um you know that there is really no limit as to um how many transactions we can we can handle on Clara it's very scalable and our, you know, our goal is, you know, over five years to get to, you know, 10% of, of, of market share. And we think that's very achievable. And we've kind of had a good jump start through the COVID period. Mm, right. So we, we hear a lot about um, the use of technology for, for rough sales, doing things like being able to send digital files with manufacturing plans, all, all these sorts of things. Aside from Clara, I'm just, I'm, I'm interested to know where you see the use of of technology for for rough sales going in the future, what sort of things could we um could we expect uh, to add value uh, in in the coming years? Yeah, listen, I I, I mean we certainly have seen uh, a move towards uh, making those digital scans available to facilitate sales, and and I think that is an important uh, development. And uh, you know the industry is now I think really looking for ways to to make. Uh, the marketplace more efficient overall. You know, that scanning step is obviously important and it's kind of the first step in Clara, but, you know, the key difference in what we're doing with Clara and why it's so unique is that we are actually using those scans and the, the, the polished orders that we're receiving from our manufacturing customers 
to, to basically match and optimize uh, and deliver the right rough stone with the uh, with the right polished order. And so we are the only platform in the world that is that is actually using a matching algorithm to kind of combine the orders with the scans and 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 ultimately um, deliver those individual stones to the manufacturers. And, uh, you know, we think that that sort of next step, which is, is not yet, uh, I think, out, totally obvious um, to the broader community, uh, will become uh, much clearer and that there will be a continued ramp up and, and a move for people to try the Clara platform for that reason. But certainly, you know, making the sales process more efficient by using scans to uh, create more certainty in terms of the polished outcome, where you have, you know, people that are able to to buy diamonds, um, uh, you know, without paying too much or uh, and arguably can't pay too little we create more stability in the marketplace, which is a good thing. And I think that's what we're all looking for. If you think about how diamonds have performed compared to other luxury products over many years, you can see that we have some work to do. We haven't performed um, as well as other luxury products. And I think a lot of that has to do with, again, creating alignment within the supply chain, creating stability within the supply chain, where um, you, you're really supporting resilient businesses and, you know, we want to get out of these boom and bust cycles and create a marketplace that at the end of the day is stable and can grow. Right. I understand. I am um, moving to um, to the question of some of the larger stones. You mentioned before the, the XRT technology, technology that it's um, improved the effectiveness of your mining at, at Karoway. That there was evidence that the 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 Lacedi Lorona stone, obviously one of the largest stones in history, one of the largest diamonds in history, was originally a lot bigger than it uh, was originally a lot bigger than it, than than it was when you unearthed it. But it broke up uh, on the yeah. way. And um, one of the things, if I understand correctly, that that this XRT technology is it enables you to do is is find these stones at an early at an earlier stage. So I'm wondering if if you were to find the Lacedi now, would you be in a better position to uh, to recover it safely in a larger form than you did back in 2015 when you found it? Yeah, the the short answer um, is yes. Uh, we have since incorporated what we call our mega diamond recovery circuit, which can, in theory, recover diamonds up to 5,000 carats in size, which we didn't have in place at the time. But I, I will point out that the you know there is a technical debate as to when the Lissetti broke, and, and certainly the science suggests that it's possible that that diamond actually broke as, you know, as it was being transported in the Kimberlite, and it may not have been introduced uh, in the mill. But nevertheless, um, our ability to recover large diamonds um, without um, having them go into a crushing circuit uh, has been enhanced by the introduction of our mega diamond recovery circuit. And of course, we are getting diamonds through there. And I think you know, one um, example is just to, to look at the Suello, which we recovered in 2019, which is in fact our our largest diamond and the largest diamond ever recovered in Botswana, 1,758 carats, and and that came through the circuit un, completely undamaged. So that was a great thing to see. 
And then earlier um, in 2020, we recovered the 549 carat Setunia, which means flower in Setswana. And this is the diamond that we've um, basically joint ventured with Louis Vuitton and the HB Group out of Antwerp. And this diamond, was, was, which is quite uh, likely one of the nicest diamonds in terms of overall quality that we've ever recovered, um, was also recovered um, undamaged. So, you know, the investment in XRT has been an important and then even, you know, expanding that investment uh, to be able to recover larger diamonds has been really important. Um, and, and the whole goal is that, you know, from the primary crush, uh, when the ore is, you know, essentially delivered to the plant, it goes through an XRT looking for those big high value diamonds that would have been liberated and recovering them early before that material goes back for, for successive um, recrushing. And that's, and that's the key. Um, and it's working extremely well. And, you know, it's paid for itself many times over already. Sure. Ira, just a, a final question. Um, we touched on this a bit before, but uh, uh, it's, it's often been claimed that the diamond industry is a little bit behind in terms of its use of technology and its ability to adapt to new technologies. Do you feel that that has changed um, in, in 20, that changed in, in 2020 because of the pandemic? Um, and what's your assessment of how receptive uh, the, the industry is now towards, towards new technology? Ah, you know, I, I think it was beginning to change. I think the pandemic really has been a catalyst for that change. Again, back to, you know, the, the limitations of being able to get on a plane, I think has is, is been um, a really important, you know, element of the COVID crisis that is, has, has led people to the platform. I think, yes, we are an industry that, uh, you, you know, has done things the same way for a long time. And it's not that we haven't done them for good reason. It's that I think we have been slow to recognize how technology can make our businesses more efficient, more resilient, more competitive and more transparent. And those are all things that I think we need to achieve if we are to to, to really build demand um, for diamonds longer term, which of course is, is something that we all want. So I, I think the industry has been a bit slow. I think the industry has had uh, had to adapt through COVID. And I think they, the realization that, that technology really can assist in this transformation is, is now you know, much more I think established within the community, and I think we have to continue to kind of build on that in, in the coming months and years. But I think it's here to stay, and I think it's a, it's a matter of of time and, and and how quickly companies and businesses will will learn and want to adopt some of these new te new technologies. Sure, Ira. I think the um, the industry would would applaud Lucara for the uh, for the, the the contribution it's uh, it's made in, in this area. Um, and in these changes that are taking place. Um, I wanted to thank you, uh, Ira Thomas of Lucara, for joining us on the podcast. Um, it's been a very interesting discussion, and uh, I'm grateful for your insights. Well, thank you very much. It is a pleasure uh, to be here and speaking with you today about things that um, are very dear to my heart. I'm really excited about 2021 and where we can go 
And, you know, the future uh, of this industry, I think, is is very bright. Um, and uh, we've got better years ahead. Thanks, Ira and Joshua, for this really interesting conversation. And I think in our next interview, we're also going to talk about big stones. But um, at the next stage of the, the process, Avi, can you tell us a bit more about our guest from Sinova? Sure. Um, Sonia, this conversation really got me excited in terms of um, the extent that, uh, that technology can really have on, um, on, on, the, on the industry as a whole in terms of driving efficient, a more efficient um, a diamond market. That um, Sonova is a company that's um, really at the forefront of introducing an automation of the manufacturing process, and the, this is something that I would never have believed if you told me if just a few years was years ago was possible. But it's it's a reality today, and Jurg um, gave us um, some really interesting insight into what they're doing in terms of um, enabling diamond manuf- uh, machine driven. Um, diamond manufacturing. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Jörg. It's great to have you with us. Yeah. Hi, uh, Avi. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to talk with you today about uh, diamond manufacturing. Um, and so the pleasure is ours. And uh, I, I would like to to start, um, Jörg, because I think a lot of our listeners um, in, the, in the industry might not be too familiar with Sonova. And so maybe very briefly, if you can... Um, if you can brief us and give us an outline of Sonova's role in the diamond industry, what is the added value that the company brings to the market? Even the diamond industry is compared to other industries, such as automotive, electronic, or IT, still rather labor-intensive, the integration of technology in the diamond manufacturing process plays more and more an important role. Sinova entering the diamond market beginning of the last decade plays truly a technology a special role bringing with its laser microjet first time highest accuracy laser cutting technology on semiconductor precision level uh, into this diamond manufacturing process. Sinova is a laser manufacturer with its proprietary laser microjet technology for different markets, and the diamonds is one of these markets. When you look at the diamond um, industry as a whole um, and, and the diamond manufacturing process, what is, what, is the, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? You know what? What um, the, the laser jet um, systems that that you mentioned are? Um, it, it's bringing a greater efficiency to the to diamond manufacturing. But what was lacking beforehand that require that brought this requirement for for your machines? Actually, we there plenty of different semi uh, automated uh, small uh, machinery equipment already existing in the market. Even also laser uh, cutting systems. But uh, the advantage what Sinova brings in this uh, field is this highest accuracy based on Sinova's laser microjet, what I already told, on semiconductor precision level. That means here uh, we are able to cut on a very, very thin uh, cutting line with our technology with a hair-thin water jet. And uh, this enables the manufacturer using uh, this technology uh, in cutting very, very precise, this lowest weight loss, this uh, highest yield in the market. 
but let, at the end of the day, it turns out in higher pro uh, profit. And and how widely is it used? Can can you use the the system on any size um, diamond, or is it particularly for um, for larger and more complicated stones? Actually, our technology is used for let's say stones starting by fifty pointers and then up to uh, unlimited size. The largest stone has been ever cut was the constellation with eight hundred and thirteen. In the meantime, I've already is a Lesidi de Lazaro. This was sent for. 1100. Also, there is in the, in the upper size is, there is no limit. Lower size, let's say it's beneficial by starting by 50 pointers. Mm, and and I remember when the when the constellation diamond was um w was uh, was laser uh, laser cut by your by your systems there was some uh, there was some news value in that as well because I think it came from Dubai to Israel to to um for that for that part of the cutting process and um, how many how many machines are there in uh, Used in the market because it's it's a it's not a it's not a cheap machine. It's it's it costs a fair bit of money, and so it's not um it's not something that's uh, that's easily accessible to every manufacturer. Is that, is that a fair assumption? It is on one side a fair assumption to say that it is not easily accessible to own this machine. This is depending on either on quality stones. When you have very very high quality stones, then uh, it's just the justification for this process is very quick done. Quality in terms of clarity level or size, or when you have a quantity quantity level, this is in fact the main uh, part uh, plays a role in India and the Indian uh, manufacturing process where is there plenty of stones are processed per day and here you take the advantage out of the uh, manufacturing uh, quantity. So in this case, it's there are surely companies maybe may have difficulties to to uh, invest in such a technology but in the meantime there are also many uh, quite a good number of service providers in the market. Even our own office in Zurat is providing laser sawing services so that uh, companies can bring, manufacturers can bring their stone and uh, and, and uh, take outsource this laser cutting process to a Zenova machine. But it's also widely used in the market in many places. And um, and I have seen I have seen the machine in in, in various factories, um, for example, in um, in Surat, and it's uh, and and it's always displayed with with great pride, I think, by, by the manufacturer that, um, that they have this um, this uh, uh, capability to, um, to 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 what extent does the laser cutting speed up the the entire process? Uh, you. Can we had a? You can say uh, we we have a customer heading in the past uh, for tri laser system, and uh, once is, uh, our one of our machine has been installed, uh, he switched off one after the other so that uh, he can also easily take the capacity of three uh, tri laser systems in one. Zenova system. The advantage what we have is this typical blacking what you are doing before you uh, cut a stone with a dry laser. This process step totally uh, is removed, is replaced, and we uh, customers are very quick surprised how quick we can we can cut a stone. 
uh, in in a very short time with any with, with no uh, pre manufacturing process, for example. Mm, so it really does um, make the, the the manufacturing process that much more efficient. I would like to turn now to your Da Vinci, da Vinci system because um, that's the that's I think your your latest um, innovation and and potentially equally re- revolutionary I think the Da Vinci system automates the shaping or, or faceting of of um, the diamond cu- diamond cutting process. In other words, the the machine can fully facet the the rough diamond into into polished. Is is that a is that a a good enough explanation of what the Da Vinci machine um, does. This hits actually uh, already very well. This uh, Da Vinci is this virtually uh, rough to polish manufacturing process. That means you you go in, you put in the machine a rough stone uh, on on a diamond holder, put it in the machine, set it up, and uh, it cuts all the 57 facets of a round, brilliant uh, shape. And uh, when it comes out, you have not only, and this is a huge advantage, additional advantage for the manufacturer, you, had, you do not have only the polishing stone with all 57 facets cut, you do have also the cut-off chips, which are normally in the diamond, in the usual polishing process on the wheel, uh, cut away as a dust. So this can, you can take it again. You don't need to remove tops before. You take with a facet cut also a top off in this case, so that means you can out of these chips, out of tops, create a new diamonds which we which you would have maybe lost in a conventional uh, polishing process. Hmm. It, it's quite it's quite remarkable if you think about it that we have this capability to uh, you know it's all, it's 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 kind of futuristic that you 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 feed a machine a rough diamond and out pops a, a fully faceted polished diamond I, i'm wondering what what um what level of of human involvement is there in that process because each diamond as we know is 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 different and unique and so is is there, is there a template in the Da Vinci system that um, applies to all diamonds, or is there a certain amount of human assessment that needs to be done before that process begins? Actually, the stones are planned uh, as usual with third-party scanning and planning equipment and marking equipment. And uh, here is a planner decide already the cut uh, or, or the, the order, the cutting order of the facet order. It will be uh, defined outside of the machine. The uh, operator gets the stone, including the file, the cutting file from a, a separate planning tool before. And uh, then he sets up the stone in, in a high accuracy, vision-based, and uh, starts uh, the, the starting process, push the button, and then comes the next step, which is actually remarkable. He can absolutely re- uh, go away from the machine. So that means this cutting process is fully independent uh, uh, of the operator. Um, he can already, in the meantime, 
also äh, äh, prepare a next machine, a separate machine, or you can already glue a stone for the next process, or you can take other, other activities, so that means uh, the machine is working up, uh, by fully automatic by itself. Hmm. And and how long does that um, how long does it take for for the machine to um, to do the job? We uh, have as an average uh, value we can say let's say um, uh, one carat polish size that comes out by a forty percent yield uh, calculation on out of a three carat uh, rough in one hour uh, fifteen minutes one one and a half hour in in this in this uh, side. Hmm. And just to give um, give us and and our listeners some perspective, how long would that take in the traditional way of of um, cutting and and faceting a diamond? This is uh, takes significantly longer because, in fact, you uh, have to prepare this stone on on different machines, and then you polish. There is I don't have now the figure for this. For this process itself not uh, not available for the moment but what is clear is when you take the stone each time and uh, and adjust it fix it in in different uh, semi-automatic processes then you lose a lot of time this is one point and you uh, waste your time with many quality check controls after each process step uh, including uh, maybe bring it in the safe as it takes several days and here you can do it in in, in, a, in a day mm, it's it's uh, it's quite incredible the um and I have the same question that I asked earlier Earlier about the laser jet machines, but you know what sizes um, is the Da Vinci system able to uh, to work on? Is it also from those sort of half carats and up, or or is there a wider a wider range? Yes, yeah, so the smallest stones we have polished were twenty pointer polish. Uh, size, but would lead from, uh, comes out of a maybe one carat rough or uh, let's say uh, three grainers rough. And then, of course, up to the larger stones, there is currently not set a limit. Can be a 10 carat, can be a 15 carat or 20 carat. I got already questions. Can we put a 100 carat stone in the rough stone in the machine? I said, why not? Yes. So would you do that with that with confidence if you if you were the owner of the Lacedi Lorona, <laughs> you know that costs tens of millions of dollars? Would you um, would you trust the Da Vinci to um, to to work on 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 such a stone? This is a good question. When you launch a machine in the market, you should put surely not the most expensive uh, value direct on the first time in this machine. Uh, you you will. This is a question of operator uh, skills uh, it is a question of uh, the entire uh, feeling for this project so diamonds is still a kind of uh, a personal feeling which technology suits me as a manufacturer as best for my product and here is a lot surely a combination of uh, of uh, experience over the time and that you start stepwise to increase the sizes of your stones what you put in the machine I guess it's a, you know in a way was it was an unfair question because it is still um the the early days of um, bringing the bringing the Da Vinci system to the market. Um, you, 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 I believe in, in in November you had your sort of commercial launch where your your first sales were were made of the of the system. Can you tell? Can you give us an update of what sort of market penetration you're seeing? Um, what what, uh, what sort of use um, the Da Vinci is is um, in the market at the moment? As for the moment is. Not 
not a Da Vinci in the market currently. We uh, still have our machines in the production. The customer, uh, and, uh, side holder, the bear side holder ordered last year in, in November uh, this machine. It will come in the, in the markets and in Botswana will be installed there in uh, May, May timeframe. Uh, others already then uh, have been ordered uh, afterwards. Uh, one machine goes already to, to Canada in a very remote uh, located place. Uh, we are very happy to hear this because uh, also uh, uh, many uh, local uh, uh, people will be uh, integrated in this, uh, f in this system. I'm very happy for that. And other machines already in preparations for, uh, and also some discussions already going on. There is always the same that, uh, inquiries already a lot of, uh, a lot of them there. Um, there are early adapters, front runners, and also people still uh, wait till the first machine in the market and uh, would like to get the feedback. And, but I'm quite sure, uh, that first of, it sounds like you know once the, once those first um, those first pioneers, for, for lack of a better word, um, have uh, proven the the effectiveness of of, of equipment, then the, then the momentum would um, would uh, follow. Um, I, I think a lot of our listeners will be thinking, you know, then what happens to uh, to all those jobs of manuf uh, you know the, of people who are working in manufacturing. And um, that their process, their um, their their task is now being automated, um, and and it's a it's a question that we've um, dealt with, that we've discussed quite a, quite quite a few times on our podcast series on on technology. Um, but what what is your response to that concern about um, about employment and jobs in the in in the in the manufacturing um, sector? Yeah, I think it should not be, be seen from straight away negative. I, I can imagine that maybe people might fear the situation, but there is one point. Surprisingly, even the Indian diamond industry takes advantages out of their low labor cost and wage structure. Indian diamond manufacturers have been already for long quick to embrace new technologies such as automatic cutting and laser cutting. So that means uh, especially Indian uh, companies are having already a lot of labor there, are even more interested in, in um, being early adapters for this, for that technologies. And this is, uh, we will face within the diamond manufacturing similar situations like in other industries. Fully automation of the manufacturing process is not stoppable. It was many years back in other industries like automotive industry, electric industry, and it will also drive further in the diamond manufacturing. This we cannot uh, avoid. On the other hand, I have also already heard for, uh, for uh, since I'm in this industry that the skilled workers of polishers in, in, this, in India are already getting more and more reduced. Uh, polishers in the past uh, also become themselves and diamond hairs. This is one point, but we see in, in many Indian companies uh, where the, the owners nowadays were in the past polishers. And in the, uh, and also, uh, the children nowadays, also especially in India, uh, the children from Polishers would not like to be 
again polishers. They would like to be in 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 IT jobs. They would like to be in administrative jobs. They would not like to sit anymore on a polishing wheel for on on, on a wheel. So that means the luck of experienced polishers is running out over a time. And uh, this can be surely uh, substituted in this case uh, by Zenova Stavinci. Mm, it's a, it's certainly an interesting dynamic, and the um, and the uh, the employment within the industry has always fluctuated, and it's an interesting solution, um, for sure. Um, Jörg, just as a final question, um, before we we wrap up, um, what is Sonova working on? Um, ne- for or what's the next innovation that uh, that Sonova is working on, um, that that we should be aware of? Yeah, the, the next uh, very uh, recent innovation, what you what you would like to do, is to uh, extend our round, brilliant shaping, what we are, what we currently can do, to a fancy shaping. Also, fancy shaping was uh, rather quick asked in the market. Also, many inquiries we got were less on round, on round, brilliant manufacturing, were more on fancy shaping. And this is a feature what we uh, where we are working with with high pressure on this to get this feature in our system and it will be done in uh, in the near future so in a couple of months we will see the first uh, automated manufacturing of fancy of different fancy shapes and um, yeah this and in the in the further future uh, let's say we can say um, we tested already loading and unloading of stones in an automatic way using uh, a 6x robot so that means uh, using this machine not only by an operator in front but uh, uh, also to to uh, take a stone uh, in the machine and take the stone out of the machine by a robot solution and when we combine this with an automated uh, gluing mounting process uh, it can be also then uh, integrated in uh, combined with automated uh, grading processes other companies afterwards so that means the full automation of a diamond manufacturing is not that far anymore. Well, it's certainly a, a glimpse into the into the into the not so distant future, as you said. I was going to say the future, but um, it, it sounds very futuristic. But it's um, it certainly makes sense, and it's very. I, I think it's quite exciting for the industry. It will result in a more efficient industry. Um, Jörg, thank you so much for your for your insight and um, and for joining us today to to discuss some of these incredible um, innovations that uh, that Sonova is bringing to the to the diamond industry i can see why you were uh, excited about this interview i learned a lot and uh, i really like your question about trusting a machine with a million worth a million of of, um, stone diamonds so that was that was really interesting thanks to to you and york on this one um, it's a pleasure, and yeah, yeah, it was uh, it, it was it was a fun in- interview, and I learned a lot myself. And um, as we move along the the supply chain, uh, we're going back to the uh, to the consumer end, I think. Um, with uh, where Sonia, you interviewed uh, Nina Juaje um, from the Connect Agency, and um, uh, do, do you want to give us a bit of a background about uh, about Nina and her work in the industry? Sure. So first of all, Nina is a designer herself. She's the, the co-founder of a brand called Nevernot, uh, which is a really cool fine jewelry brand, very colorful. And Nina 
also founded a Connect showroom. So uh, it was supposed to be a showcase for designers, a dozen of them, every season in Paris for spring and fall uh, fashion week. And what happened last year is she realized that she had to move everything digital if she wanted to carry on representing uh, uh, designers and connecting them to wholesalers. Um, she sells to retailers, independent retailers, uh, big online platforms such as Farfetch. So she had to, to move her operations, create a website. Uh, she's, she worked really, really hard to get it on time. So designers would feel that they were not left alone. They were still receiving the same level of exposure. And I think as we're going to hear in the interview, that actually has increased opportunities for a designer. So that's a, that's a really nice story of how digital can really help boost business if it's done well and if it's done uh, quick. Hi, Nina. Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Sonia, for having me and for inviting me to speak about uh, such an important topic these days. Yes, exactly. So the reason why I wanted to have you on, on this podcast is um, to introduce Nina to, uh, to our audience who, who, who might not have heard of her yet. Nina is uh, one of the co-founders of uh, Nevernot, a fine jewelry brand that is known for its colorful, joyful uh, designs. Um, and Nina is on this specific podcast because she is the founder of the Connect Agency. And the Connect Agency is a digital showroom, but it wasn't always a digital showroom. So Nina, tell us a bit more. How did it start and what did you move from the physical showroom to the, the digital showroom that you have today? Sure. Uh, Connect Agency started as a physical showroom. You know, we all know how the jewelry exhibitions are happening when you have um certain amount of different jewelry designers from all over the world in one space and i would do it specifically in paris for paris fashion week in a beautiful showroom about 10 14 uh, up to 15 i would say jewelry designers gathering in one space and you know it's now we look at it as old fashioned way of doing the exhibition so Exactly one month ago, I was getting ready for this normal exhibition in Paris. I was packing my suitcase. I was just in February. And getting ready for what was already known, uh, we were all going through the same procedure, meeting, visually merchandising, seeing the buyers and, uh, you know, enjoying the presentation and introduction of the brands that we had in the physical environment. Uh, little did we know that in um, the 2020, we would come back from Paris after the Paris Fashion Week and the whole world would go to the lockdown. This was the time when we realized that, oh, wow, we were lucky. We almost jumped on the last train of doing the exhibitions in February in Paris. Uh, and it was actually the last uh, time I traveled for business last year. And uh, But we also realized that what is going on in the world, no one knows, and it's very uncertain. And we somehow need to manage to uh, do our business and do the introduction of the brands and having a different plans. If the plan A would not work, which is a physical um, showroom 
uh, environment, we had to get ready for plan B. Uh, and we started uh, building the digital platform for Connect Agency. For me, the aim to connect the brand with the buyer or with the jewelry industry um, personalities together was the main goal, no matter would it be physical or at this present time, now it's a digital introduction. Adam, you were representing um, a dozen of designers, independent designers from, from different countries. So how, how did you translate the, the physical showroom that you had in Paris for, for, you, uh, for your designers into the, the new platform? Uh, it is the same kind of way. If you will imagine that you have different jewelry designers from all over the world. So we li all live in the different parts of the world. But now we have them all on a digital platform. Um, what is very essential and what is very important, and I think it's not only me, but also the brands realize that, that because now it's... Uh, Uh, your imagery that matters the most. First introduction of the brand happens with showing their beautiful collections digitally. So what do we need for that? We need high resolution images. We need the description of the pieces. We need the, all the something that you see first on your screen as the buyer, as the press. So this has to be essential for every single brand. And I think it, a lot of brands really quickly learned that no matter how beautiful the collections are, they need to have their digital tools ready to go ahead with the platform and to be introduced uh, through the virtual um, showroom. If I had 15 designers in a physical environment, now we have almost like a waiting list of the jewelry designers wanting to be on the virtual showroom, which means that they know they don't need to travel. They know that they can do job and can do the business and can be connected to the buyers from the comfort of their house. No matter, no, it doesn't matter where they live. So it gives a lot of more flexibility and confidence to the designers that they can be uh, connected. That's the whole point of Connect Agency, connected to the right people in jewelry industry. I can see the, the immense benefits for, for a designer. I know you have designers in Morocco, designers in Georgia, designers in America to actually have um, access, to be able to showcase their work um, in a platform. And um, But what are the challenges for the buyers? Because suddenly they actually can't touch and feel the jewelry and it's such a big part of the of our industry. So how do you create um, a con uh, an environment in which the buyers from, you know, you work with big, uh, big global retailers and, uh, and big brands, how do they, how do they feel they can make a choice without having ever seen the jewelry and having met the designer apart from this Zoom connection that you create for them? I think um, with the buyers, we've had different options, how they can, it's of, of course, and I, think everyone would agree that it's very difficult to imagine or the craftsmanship of fine jewelry. It's not it's something that has so much hard work done in one piece. It's a craftsmanship, it's beautiful gemstones. It's the whole story about the piece. So for us not being able to touch it, feel it and try it on, it's very difficult. But if you if you have 
your designer on Zoom, if you have uh, the model who is trying the pieces on, if you have the beautiful images that they can show and represent how piece looks like in real life, I think we also need to adapt and see that this is the way to see the pieces. This is a way to listen to the story of the designer who will tell you what it was the inspiration behind the piece. If you, uh, it's of course it's not the same, but there are different options. You can connect the buyer with the designer on Zoom, and then you can see the instant chemistry that they can have. And the buyer is super excited to see that there is a brand that they've never seen before, and the pieces they look incredible. Even on Zoom, you can see how incredible pieces can be. Then we can, you know, always arrange the shipment and show the pieces to the the buyer who can touch them and maybe ship them back. So there are different, different options how it can be done. And um, I think everyone, especially buyers, been very supportive. And if before they would uh, skip the showroom just because they were too busy in Paris and they had appointments one after another, now they don't have that excuse. And they know that, you know, we're waiting for them on Zoom or we're waiting for the appointment to happen digitally. We have an amazing website of Connect Agency that they all love to visit throughout the year. So I, everyone been very supportive. And so far, I've been very lucky. I had no issues whatsoever. Even with some very technically difficult pieces, we have the designer with um, a transformer earrings. So you really need to see how the earrings are, you know, set apart and that you combine them. There is a, spe- a specific um, technique how to do it. We had the uh, Zoom um different countries all together. The designer lives in Brazil. I live in the UK. The buyer lives in US. So we had different you know, time zones, but connected all together. And our designer from this beautiful showroom were showing us her pieces. And there were no issues at all. And so far, everyone is happy to work this way, even even though it's completely new for everyone, but we're used to it now. And uh, I'm just getting ready for my new digital week, which starts this month. Um, and I'm really excited. If I was very scared, a bit, not very, but a bit scared just before my first digital platform would launch, now I'm super excited and I'm looking forward to it. That's great. And also because I think you, it helped you to, to actually reach a wider audience of, of buyers. Are they, are they bought differently than they would have bought if you had met them in Paris? Yeah, in terms of uh, how they've changed the strategy or how they change their way they do work, I think it's the, the whole business opportunities are there. The buyers are more willing to see something new. Uh, don't forget, we've been in such a difficult and challenging times that all we are craving now, you know, to see something exciting, to see something new, or it's a new design, or it's an old design, but we are haven't seen it before. So they are keen to be connected and to be introduced to someone that they've never had the chance to see before or maybe the designer who never had the chance to travel to Paris for Paris Fashion Week or it just gives such a broader and wider opportunities for both sides for both designers and 
buyers to be introduced to someone that they haven't had the chance when we were doing the physical um, physical business. Uh, in terms of buying, of course, everyone is very cautious and everyone is very careful to which brands they do invest. But I think it still it moves the business moves and we can see that huge online platforms are more willing to take new designers into their platforms and they're selling very well so it's old opportunities plus the new digital opportunities that combined together and i think it gave a much wider uh, possibilities to designers as well and I know you're, you're a born storyteller. You, you had roles at Stephen Webster's. You had roles at Burberry's. You're a designer <laughs> yourself. Um, I know you, you do a lot of, uh, you actually tell the story sometimes. I'm sure of your, of your designers may be even better than they would do it themselves because they're shy and they don't want to, to, uh, to, to, to brag about their, their creations. As, as the digital platform helps you to tell stories differently. Digital platform tells a story very in a vi visual way. Uh, imagine you are the buyer that are uh, logging into the Connect Agency platform and you are checking the designers. What would you see first? You would see the images. You would see how clear everything is. That's why for us as a Connect platform agency, um, we tried to make as Friend, as visually and digitally friendly platform as possible. So when you log in, as same as when you enter the showroom, you feel comfortable, you feel easy. It's very easy to maneuver. It's very easy to click, to get the information. So I tried to make the platform very comfortable for the buyer to log in and stay there. And even now, throughout the year, I can see how many and how regularly it's visited. And I can even see how long, like like how many minutes or and how many minutes the, the visitor will stay there and browse. And I'm always pleasantly surprised that it's, it's beautiful to stay there and to imagine that you are surrounded by different designers. Of course, it's not the same as you will tell the story when you are facing someone and you see each other face to face. But for that um, instance, what we do, we know when the buyer is logging into Connect Agency platform and we simultaneously do the same and we are on Zoom going through the visual showroom together. So I have the time to talk through the each collection to talk about each designer any questions that the buyer will have i will be there to answer and you can still st tell the story you can tell the story digitally which is the introduction like of step one and then you can follow up with telling the story via uh, phone conversation or zoom that's great. And I know as we're recording this podcast, you, you're getting ready for um, another uh, virtual Paris Fashion Week. What, what do you see maybe in September when we, we go back to, uh, to physical in-person events? How do you see the, the evolution of the, the Connect Agency? I think that even in September when it was digital, I thought now by end of February, March, we would be going back to physical showroom environment again. But you can see we are still in lockdown here in UK and 
it, it's not this, it, no one really is keen or no one is really allowed to travel. And we are in February 2021 now. So it's difficult to even predict what will happen in September. Fingers crossed, we will all be traveling again and seeing each other. But this experience that not only me as Connect Agency, but also many different uh, companies who switched into the digital environment and digital work, this will be very essential tool. This will not go away and it will not be a plan B. Of course, we will see each other. We will, and I can't wait. I love it. For me, it's the passion of seeing people and, you know, interaction and telling the story someone I see. So the connection of the eyes is very important when you see that someone is so excited to listen to what you are saying and which pieces you are showing them. And uh, we will go back to it, I'm sure. But digital world will do exist and it will develop even more. Uh, And who was not really keen to try it? I think it's time to try. I think it's time to maybe improve the websites or switch to online shopping and for the web, for the designers to add the online shopping to their websites, which is very essential. It will stay there. It will never go away. And it is a very essential tool for businesses. That sounds like a, a great advice, especially because, you know, as you said, digital is here to stay and grow, especially for in a luxury, luxury industry where, um, and it seems like it's improving all the time. And And I know that you took a really brave move when you decided to to launch the platform very quickly when you when you understood that the the next show wouldn't happen physically, and a lot of people didn't want to hold showrooms, but you you went ahead with uh, the connect agency, and I know that your your designers appreciate that the support and um, and the exposure that you that you offer them. So thank you so much, Nina, for being our guest today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I hope that we'll meet a physical showroom soon. <laughs> I, I can't. Oh, 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 I can't wait, and I'm sure we will. And I'm so looking forward to see everyone in uh, person. And um, I, I'm sure it will happen very soon. So thank you so much, Sonia. Thank you, Nina. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sonia, and thank you, Nina. It's uh, it's so interesting. I think what stood out for me is the the collaborative nature of of um, of Nina's work, and and I think that that's how technology is bringing um, bringing um, communities together in uh, within the industry, and and how we can all grow from from that. So I think it's very exciting. And and that brings us to um to the to the end of our um episode and of our technology series and and I think on the, you know we were just we were joking and and having a bit of a laugh earlier that um that on this episode there were four four interviews and seven different accents and I think it's uh, it really highlights um how we're living in in a it's a global community today, and technology is definitely um, uh, driving that um, connectivity, uh, which is a which is another takeaway I think that we've that we can uh, we can take from from all all the episodes that uh, that uh, we're all connected in in such an in, uh, intimate way in in our market. So, Sonia, thank you for your contribution to this um, to this podcast and to the series in general. It's been a real eye-opener eye for me. Thank you so much, Azzy. It was fun, and I hope our listeners have enjoyed all the insights that our guests have generously shared with us.
Absolutely. And uh, and if you want to um, listen to all episodes that all the all five episodes that we've um, that we've published, they are available on on our website on diamonds.net. And we'll be posting this one, um, the link on within the, the show notes of this episode. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we look forward to our future podcasts um, that are coming up. God bless everyone and stay safe.